For those of you who are uh, here for the first time in a while or for first time ever, uh, we're glad that you're here. Really thankful for your presence with us. Uh, we've been doing a study on the attributes of God and the excellencies, the beauty, and the perfections of God. And here this morning, uh, we study and hopefully we'll learn more about the perfection of God's holiness. Quite honestly, it, you know, I, I um, this is a this is something that we will not uh, cover everything about it here this morning. Um, I think we do that in eternity, and uh, we're going to touch on it this morning. Um, but uh, just. Please be in prayer about this for this time in the word, but also for yourself. Um, never before, I, I just, maybe I'm exaggerating it, but I think um, just now more than ever, we need to understand God and his holiness. Um, we need to come again and look at this, uh, this beauty. And so... Um, as we consider the holiness of God, um, this is kind of a, this is a topical message. So we're not going to be landing on one verse or one passage. I, I want to give you a workout here with your hands and your fingers in the word of God. All right. And um, that's what we see when we come to the word that his holiness is not necessarily mentioned in initially until Exodus. But his his holiness is there over and over and over again. Uh, we must give heed to his holiness in this day and age. We must. Um, we live in a day where the concept of holiness is mostly non-existent. Like many other biblically distinct concepts or truths, we uh, as a people use the term in a flippant way, in a light way, in a meaningless way. Uh, we we add it to, uh, of all things, a term like a cow. Holy cow. Holy buckets. Holy moly. And uh, I don't believe that the Bible, or that God or the Bible intends us to use it in front of those words. Um, it, number one, is reserved for God. He's a holy God. And amazingly, he calls you, Christian, to be holy in your behavior, in your conduct. Are we aware of what the term holy means? Well, before we get into the definition, there's a second concern worth mentioning in light of this topic. And it has to do with my belief or your belief that I somehow sort of have a, a... a level of goodness that God sees. Because I'm really a good guy, you know, you know that. And so therefore, somehow there's a level of goodness in me that's innate in me that God ought to see and recognize. That I'm really not that bad. I mean, look, you know, I'm not like the guys on, on Murder's Row in the prisons, you know, come on. I'm not selling drugs out in the street. I'm really a good guy. That's how we think. 
That's a lot of times what we're thinking. And it, certainly, I'm not as bad as those Pharisees mentioned in the Bible that Jesus railed against, that Jesus was opposed against, that Jesus warned you and I against. Certainly, I'm not that bad. And yet, Jesus said, if your righteousness does not, what? Exceed that of the Pharisees, you won't see his kingdom. So, Let's consider what holy means. Initially, and in many books, and I, I brought a couple of books here this morning. Um, initially, we think holy means pure and absent of evil. And one of these books dis- defines holiness that way. It's, it's absolute purity. But in uh, The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer, I know many of you have this, he he defines it a bit uh, more, uh, a bit differently. And R.C. Sproul, in his book, The Holiness of God, does us a real good favor in his definition of holiness. You know, again, we think initially it's about being pure or at the absence of evil. But what we need to do first in, in defining holiness is to say, first of all, and the very word itself is about being set apart. It's about being set apart. That's more of what the term holy means. But then R.C. Sproul, in his definition, he adds the word transcendent. That's a word we don't use that much. Okay? Um, transcendent, which it's talking about God is as holy, is above and beyond anything that we know. Okay? He exceeds all others being perfect in holiness. He alone being perfect in holiness. He far surpasses the level of holiness that we can even comprehend. He is holy. Okay. So. Number one in your outline, if you want to follow along in your outline. Is that I believe that holiness is the essence of God. Number one, the essence of God. I believe holiness is his essence for two reasons. Letter A, the Bible teaches us, instructs us that the attribute of holiness is the attribute of attributes. In the Bible, the key descriptive word used for God in all of his attributes is the word holy. His holiness is the descriptive word for all that God is. That's why Isaiah 57 verse 15, write that down. That's an important verse. Isaiah 57 verse 15 is saying when it tells us that he inhabits eternity and his name is holy, meaning everything about him is holy. That's the idea. The summation of who God is, holy. It's the attribute that the very angels of God cry out, Isaiah chapter 6, another important verse. Holy, holy, holy is that which stands out most about God. In other words, they did not cry out, love, 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 joy, 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 peace, 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 wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. None of those. They cried out, holy, holy, holy. Now, you can go and study it more about why they did that three times. Number one, it's because of emphasis. Let's just leave it at that. There's other good little uh, rabbit trails to go down in that way. It's very excellent. But uh, just remember, here's the emphasis. Holy, holy, holy. 
It's emphatic. This is who God is. He's holy. And it leads us to the second reason the essence of God is holiness is the affirmation, letter B, the affirmation of his beauty. The affirmation of his beauty. The Bible pinpoints holiness as the beauty of God. Whenever it describes um, holy array, you might see it in your version of the Bible as uh, worship the Lord in holy array. In the King James Version, it says worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Psalm 96 verse 9, for instance, says that. I want you to turn in your Bible right now to Isaiah chapter 33. Isaiah, pretty much right in the middle of your Bible, Isaiah 33. And starting in chapter 33 at verse 13, follow along as I read. God is speaking, saying, you who are far away... Hear what I have done, and you who are near, acknowledge my might. Sinners in Zion are terrified. Trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can live with the consuming fire? Who among us can live with the continual burning? He who walks righteously and speaks with sincerity He who rejects unjust gain and shakes his hands so that they hold no bribe. He who stops his ears from hearing bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking upon evil. He will dwell on the heights. There'll be security there. His refuge will be the impregnable rock. His bread will be given him. His water will be sure. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty. Now, if you take that whole passage and try and understand that whole context, it's really talking about here's here's his holiness, his burning holiness, his the consuming fire, the continual burning. And then he talks about the righteous ones, those who follow after God in his law. Now, that's the Old Testament covenant. And that law was given for a reason. And we're going to see that in a little bit here. By the way, you know, they could not keep the law, but they followed after the law and they, they walked in righteousness and followed after God and his precepts, his com- commandments, his judgments and all. Okay. Look at what God has done. That passage is saying, and he's mentioning the sinners, those who are far off. What are they doing? What are the sinners doing? They're trembling. They're trembling. Over what? the consuming fire of his holiness. Okay. Another aspect, uh, another uh, point of this is Psalm 27, verse 4, where the psalmist says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple or to meditate upon him. Okay, so... It's the essence of God is his holiness. Number two, where's the evidence of his holiness seen? Where's the evidence come forth? Number two, in his works, letter A, in his law, letter B, and in his son's death, letter C. Again, 
It's, it's there. Here's the holiness of God, how we know it's there. In his works, Genesis 1.31 says, his, um, and he saw everything that he made, and it was very good. Exodus 15, verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? Awesome and glorious deeds, doing wonders. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And then in Romans 1, verse 20, there's uh, a number of verses there that you see in the, in the reference, Romans 1, 18 through 25, but particularly in Romans 1, 20, as his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. See, when, God, when people stand before God in judgment, God's going to be able to say this very verse again. You saw, you could see it, you could tell. As that context goes on in chapter one, it's saying that they exchanged the Truth of God for a what? For a lie. So the evidence of his holiness is in his, his creative works, in his, salvational, in his salvation works. Okay? And then letter B, it's, it's seen in his law. The law is holy. The law of the Lord is perfect. Verse, uh, Psalm 19, verse 7. Romans chapter 7, verse 12. The, the law is holy. The commandment is holy. So if we're just saying, let's talk about the Ten Commandments. That's holy. It's revealing who God is at his heart. Here's the holiness of God. You go over the Ten Commandments. And here's who God is. Here's who we see as God. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. We know that the law is good. Galatians 3, 24 says that the law was our guardian, our schoolmaster to Bring us to Christ. Why? Well, the law does what? It convicts you of sin. That's what it's doing. And it's bringing you to the law keeper. Who is that? Jesus. You can't keep the law. And that's not an excuse to say, well, I can't keep the law, so it doesn't matter. Born in you is the spirit of God. If you're a Christian who prompts you to say, yeah, I, I delight in his word. I delight in his law. I want to I do what he asked me to do. That's what should be happening for us. But time and time again, we fall back on his, on his grace. And that's where letter C comes in. Letter C, we see the evidence of his holiness in his son's death. Here's the pinnacle of it, folks. Here's the pinnacle. Why? Because it's not just, well, gee, how do you get that? Out? How do you see holiness in, in such a brutal death? You know what it deals with? God being a judge. He's a righteous judge. And God punished his son. And through that comes forth mercy. Mercy comes forth. It's, it's the, it's where this, it's like this, does this make sense? God's supposed to just wipe out people because of their sin. Kill them all. They're all sinners. But God in his, in, in his amazing way shows forth the, the remedy. He had every right 
to just wipe out all of mankind, didn't he? Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8. But Noah found grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord. And on goes that pattern over and over again. Here's the mercy of God showing up. Forgiving sinners. Okay? So, I want you to uh, turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. We need to look at this. We need to see it jumping off the page at us regarding seeing the holiness of God in his son's death. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even, here it is, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there's no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of, there it is again, his righteousness at the present time so that God would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, he turns from, here's, here's he's judge, and now he's the, the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's why I asked earlier, have you been redeemed? Have you been uh, saved? Do you know of the, the freedom that there is in Christ? This is what he's, he's dealing with here. Being justified through faith in Christ. And then in, um, it, it's, so it's pointing to the death of his son that justification happens. And remember, it's the declaration of the sinner now being made, not being made, but being declared righteous. The sinner is declared righteous through faith in Christ. Another way to put it is, you're now declared blameless and holy, as Ephesians chapter 1 says. You're holy in his sight because of Christ. In Galatians, mark these references down. Well, I'm sorry, they're there already. Galatians 3.13 and Galatians 4.5. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. In Galatians 4.5, came to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So the evidence is there. For there to be a genuine encounter with God, something is still needed. And that is number three. Number three, our exposure to it. Our exposure to God's holiness. Now, these are references um, mentioned Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 5, and Revelation 1, 14 through 18. And in these, we see an example of number one, Isaiah and then number two, John, the Apostle John, who are before a holy God. 
They stand before a holy God, then they fall to their knees. And John even says he fell like a dead man before the Holy One. See, these passages give the true, accurate picture of what's needed most, to see God more and more in the image that the Bible gives us, the, the, the way the Bible lays it out for us. And this, folks... We're so, we can be so guilty of approaching God in a light way. And the Bible, not just here, but you mark down Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, you know, Jesus is telling Peter, go and, and throw out the nets again. And Peter's like, oh, okay, we'll do it. And they do it, and they haul in a, a load that's, it's huge! The boat's going to sink! Peter comes back and says, depart from me, Lord. Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. See, somehow, by God's work, Peter got it. Peter understood. And he, he was saying, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. See, in, in the presence of God, there ought to be this kind of response more and more. Now, Letter A is that God is the high and lofty one. When we are exposed to his holiness, we see God as the high and lofty one. And that's what Isaiah 57, 15 is, is telling us. He's high and lofty. He inhabits eternity and his name is holy. And he, oh, by the way, lives with or dwells with those who are of a contrite and humble spirit. The lowly spirit is how verse 15 goes on to talk about. Not, not like, you know, when you show up at a king's court, you know, who's hanging around the king? It's all the, you know, really popular people that are on People magazine or something, you know? See, in Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen, he's telling us that it's the lowly and the contrite that God hangs out with. Because they what? They, they recognize their, their sinfulness before. That's why Isaiah, the, the procedure with Isaiah in Isaiah 6 comes forth saying, you know, woe is me, is what he's saying. He's calling down a curse on himself. Woe is me. And then in a picture kind of a way, the seraphim brings a, a burning coal he says, I'm a man of what? Unclean lips. And the seraphim comes, brings a hot burning coal and touches it. And what? There's the picture of, here's God taking care of things. Here's God hardening. Here's God cleaning, cleansing, and then preparing for service. Now Isaiah's ready to say, here am I, Lord. Send me. You read Isaiah chapter 6 and see that. Okay, so... God's the high and lofty one. We need to see him more clearly in that light. And then letter B is that man is the fallen one. If God's the high and lofty one, we are the fallen one. We understand that. But in Isaiah chapter 6 and other passages, it points out that we're the stained ones. We're the guilty ones. Therefore, we're the unworthy ones. And those passages under letter B 
will point you in that direction. Psalm 49, Ezekiel 18, verse 4. Okay. Romans 6, 23, which we read already. See, we need, a lot of times we just don't see God as truly transcendent. We see ourselves as the high and lofty one. <laughs> we got it mixed up. In order to do this, you know, God had to come. God had to come to earth, right? And he came by way of a miracle, the incarnation, and he was born. Normal birth, normal birth with the miracle of, you know, the Holy Spirit conceiving, you know, in the, in the womb of Mary, the life of Jesus. And that baby was born. That baby came out. They named him Jesus, meaning God with us. Okay. And then he taught this. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. When he uh, went on his teaching ministry, went out and about in the Holy Land, we come to Matthew chapter 5, his Sermon on the Mount. And pay attention here. Follow along with this because we're going to see it, how he, how he spoke. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 2, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's what Isaiah 57, 15 tells us. That God's, God's with the, the contrite of spirit, the lowly spirit. Being poor in spirit means being spiritually bankrupt. Okay? Then he goes on and he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourn over what? Mourn over their sinfulness. Woe is me! Okay? And then... Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. See, this is what we need. There's the purity aspect coming. Why? Because it's through faith in Christ that you're forgiven of your sin, that you're pardoned, that you're cleansed, that the blood washes away your sins, that now you're adopted as a child of God, and now you can see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And see, that's an encouragement for us this week, today, throughout the week. Are you looking to see God in action? And that's what he's enabled you to do. If you're a believer, if not, the Bible says you are blinded. You're blinded by Satan. Second Corinthians chapter four. You're blinded. So you, you need to ask God for him to remove the scales so that you can see. So we recognize this kind of response is what God desires then. Contrite, lowly, humble, repentant. Luke 18 tells us, here's the sinner, the, I'm sorry, the tax collector and the Pharisee. Remember that story? Oh, the Pharisee prays as such. And oh, I thank you, God, that you did this. You know, I'm me, 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 is his prayer. And now here's the, the publican. He won't even raise up his head. He, he says, God, have mercy on me. Christian, that ought to be the way that we're described in that way. And that only comes 
through what Jesus Christ has accomplished. That only comes through what he finished at the cross. That only comes with faith in him. Okay? And that's one of the reasons why. Here's, here's a, a perfectly holy God. And his eyes are so pure, he can't even look at sin. And yet, through his amazing ways, he brings about the one who will crush the head of the serpent, Genesis chapter 3, and the prophecy of his coming is given throughout the Old Testament, and there he is, coming, teaching, sharing about God, and people knew he was claiming to be God. And so, he brought about God, here's God in the flesh, right? God in the flesh. So, it comes to point number four, our exaltation in his holiness. Our exaltation. It's because there is a, letter A, access to the Holy One. What was once only for the Levitical priesthood. That's what the book of Leviticus is about, right? Here's the book of worship. It's about the book of Leviticus. It's all about worship and procedures of worship. But it's only for the priesthood. Yeah. It's made open now to all true Christians. Ephesians chapter 2. Now, we have this access by faith. Okay? This is what opens the door. Through faith in Christ. In, in his death, the, the curtain tore from bottom to top. There it is. I'm sorry, top to bottom. There we go. From top to bottom, the curtain tore. Here's the entrance now, made accessible. You can come before God. You can come to the throne room. Now we have confidence to do this because of Jesus. And 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it says, For there is one God and only, uh, there's one mediator and one God between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So on the basis of the Lord Jesus Christ, his perfect life, his perfect righteousness, his perfect sacrifice, showing forth his perfect holiness, you have faith in Christ. Now, that's credited to your account. You're seen in Christ. And it's time to worship. Brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. We have access now. Come before God, the holy God, because of Jesus. Again, this is something that Many of you understand that, but we don't come based on our, our good behavior. We don't come out based on our uh, attainment of holiness or whatever. No, we come based on Jesus and what he accomplished for us. It results in letter B, the adoration of the Holy One. From the access to the Holy One, now we come adoring him, bowing down. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We are the people of his pasture. Humble yourselves. We cannot truly worship him without humility. We cannot truly worship him without admission and confession of our sins. 
How do I come? How do you come on a typical Sunday morning? I know. I'm, you know, I'm on a fine line here, okay? I realize that I need to challenge you. We come out of, there's a good reason why we come. But I want to challenge you in this. Are you, do you come prepared? Or do you come because it's part of the schedule? And it's part of the, you know, what we do. Well, I'd rather have you say, you know, I want to prepare. That's why, you know, if you didn't receive the email, we have, you know, email reminders sent out, you know, and, and this week's was to, hey, remember, it's communion. Prepare your heart. And really, it ought to be every week. We're saying, I want to prepare for the worship. To prepare to give God the, the praise that's due his name. I want to adore him. And folks, this is the pattern that's set before us clearly in Scripture. Psalm 51. You know, God, you know I'm a sinner. I come asking for, clean, clean my heart. White as snow, purge it, clean it. Psalm 32, verse 5 says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Opens up the door for worship. Thank you, God, that you've forgiven me. See, Old Testament was continual blood sacrifices over and over and over again. And now in Christ, one sacrifice. Perfect. No mas. No mas. It was done perfectly. You don't have to add anything to it because it was perfect. Jesus accomplished that. I have one more letter to add to the outline if you're tracking with that. Letter C under number four. We go from letter A, the access to the adoration of the Holy One, to the application now of His holiness because Scripture tells us Time and time again, be holy. You, Christian, be holy as God is holy. Now, how do we do that? That's through application of the word of God working in our lives. To bring about more and more Christ-like conduct. Mark these references down. Romans chapter 6, 10 through 18. We covered that in Sunday school. Romans chapter 8, 1 through 14. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says this. So strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Did you get that? Strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You're to strive for holiness in your life. Now, again, pay attention. It's not based on the law that I'm going to be holy. I strive for holiness based on the one person of Jesus, Jesus Christ, who is the Holy One. So now off of that foundation of Christ, the solid rock, now I pursue holiness in my life. I choose holiness in my life. I choose wisdom. I choose righteousness. I choose God's way, His pathway. Why? Because of Christ. And what he accomplished. It's been done, Christian. Hey, it's been done. Now go and live in that way that you see 
given in the word of God and do that by his strength, by his grace. For his glory, because that's what it results in. It results in the glory of God, his holiness. And it will be that way for all of eternity, right? It's about God is holy. (laughs) And now it's going to result in glory unto his name forever and ever and ever. This is the beauty of God. The beauty and the brilliance of God. When you look out at the sun, the sun's out, right? <laughs> you, you don't look directly at the sun because of its brilliance. And yet, we can see God in Jesus. That's why we do this right here. That's why we have communion. We say, God, work in my life. Help me to remember this monumental event that happened at Calvary where he died a perfect righteous sacrifice for you. You know, if all of us got it together and said, let's all do the sacrifice and um, let's add, you know, a couple of million more, we'd still fall short of the requirement that one man made, that one man accomplished. He did it. And God looked at him and, you know, like he said, even before he looked at Jesus at the baptism, he looked at Jesus on, on the, the Mount of Transfiguration. What did he say? Here's my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is our God. This is Jesus. He's the most holy one. He gave his life. Confess your sins. Confess your, your shortcomings. Confess it to God. Now, as we take time to quiet our hearts and remember what he did in a perfect way. There's no more need for a bunch of priests to go before you. There's, there's no more temporary mo- removal of sin. No more. That's what the Levitical system was about. There's no more of that. There's no long list of continual regulations that I have to keep. There's no longer a work that I as an individual have to keep up with to please God. Jesus did it. Jesus did it. Will you rest in him today? I'd like the men who are serving to come and let's bow in prayer right now, please. Please bow your heads.